Cartoon Dumpster Dive. I'm your host, Joel. And I'm your host, Andrew. Join us as we travel back in time to watch the garbage cartoons from your past. Will you remember them? Maybe. We painstakingly watch every episode of these cartoons to remind you that, hey, some things belong in the past. Our pain is your entertainment. Thanks for tuning in. That's it. That's the trailer. I'm Danielle. And I'm Christy. And you are listening to... Snacks with Stein. Let's do it! Hello and welcome to Snacks with Stein, episode 22. Cue Swift. We are feeling 22, like it's been 22 years since we interacted with humans, and we just heard about our podcast friends from Cartoon Dumpster Dive. So if vintage cartoons are your thing, please go and check them out. They are yeah, awesome. it's a good show. Yeah, it's a, it's a good nostalgia show. If you like the nostalgia stuff, go get it. Nostalgia. It's all we have to live for these days. Right? <laughs> Think of a better time. <laughs> so, Christy, what snacks are you having this evening? Well, I hit up the Sam's Club yesterday, which is something I've not done since before quarantine. Ooh. I bought a lot of things, but one of the things that I bought was this like variety pack of ice cream. And in the variety pack were drumsticks. <gasps> That's what I'm having. Delicious cone of vanilla ice cream that has been dipped in chocolate and then rolled in peanuts. Yum. Delicious. That's what I'm having. A a true classic. True classic. Always good. Which is related to our classic that we're reading tonight, which is Welcome to Dead House. That was a really slick segue. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> if you listened to our last episode, which you better have, or I don't know what's wrong with you. I'm just kidding. But if you did, you will know that we are somehow on a house trend right now. We're on a trend with houses. So we're going to call September Snacks with Stein House Month. Oh, so it's, this the, it's the horror home tour. Horror home tour. I love it. I love it. We're gonna be on like better ghouls and goblins network. Cute. Okay, that's, <laughs> that's going on the merch. We're putting it on the merch. <laughs> so welcome to Dead House, and this is my kickoff of spooky season because spooky season is in my heart always, but it officially kicks off like right when the PSL comes out. So I have two rules about spooky season. Disneyland, Disney World, etc. put out some fall Halloween decor in August. It gets earlier and earlier every year. So my best friend and I said, when Disneyland goes up, we go up. And that's been our rule since we were best friends. 
And so that is rule number one. Second rule is PSL. As soon as the PSL is in my Starbucks app, it is officially fall and you cannot tell me otherwise. So don't come at me with your fall is in September. No, it's bullshit. When Starbucks and Disney, who rule the world, say it is, that's when it is. So we are here. We are in spooky season. Welcome. Welcome. <laughs> and this book, I think, is considered a classic Goosebumps book. It's up there with the Haunted Mansion. Not Haunted Mansion. Oops. It's up there with the Haunted Mask and Slappy and the big ones. And the, everyone likes this one, has a good memory of this one, I think. So I was really excited to finally get a copy because I didn't have a copy originally in my random collection of books. So I had to get this one pretty quick on eBay. So shout out to eBay for fast shipping. And it's one of the few Goosebumps books that I remembered really scaring me. And if I was reading it at night, like when I was, I was up too late and shouldn't have been reading, I couldn't go to sleep and I was scared. And Christy, you said that you remember reading it. Right? I do. Yeah. So uh, little, little bit of a backstory tangent for me in this book. So I'm, as I'm sure you will be um, very surprised to hear, I was a super weird kid. Um, really? <laughs> super, super weird um, for a number of reasons. And I, I, was, I was the kid that like everybody made fun of. That was me. That kid oh. in class, that was me for years. Um, let's see. Third, fourth, fifth, sixth grade. Pretty much until I grew boobs. And then I became very oh, popular. Yeah. But before then, like literally pretty much like the kicking post for anybody that was around. And it was really rough. Like I developed an ulcer. Um, Like I didn't want to go to school. Like used to cry every day before school. And um, I specifically remember this book because I got it. We in particularly had a lot of bullying in this gifted class that I was in because it was only me and like four other people and there was this really nasty little girl that like used to like lead the others in like kind of doing whatever was necessary to like treat me like shit oh and yeah yeah it was bad and I had gotten this book before like the day before I had to go and do this gifted class and I really I liked the class but I just I hated what happened there Mm -hmm. and I remember like we had a time like they were being shitty and like I sat down and started reading this book and that was the first time in my memory where I can remember using a book to escape my reality because even though I was being treated like crap and constantly made fun of and really felt bad about the situation, I discovered I could sit by myself and read this book and not have anybody be mean to me and be involved in this story and go somewhere else for a while. And it was, it was kind of a, an epiphany for many years of using books to kind of deal with things. So yeah, so this one's really kind of special. I like that story, but it's also a sad story. It's it's sad, but there's I mean there's nothing for it. Like um, like I said, things did eventually change around. But I was just I was a really weird kid. Like I operated on a totally different level. This was in um, a time of Shannon Miller and the Little Hammer Olympics. 
Mm. And all the little girls wanted to be gymnasts, and I wanted to be a Shakespearean actor. So, yeah. Wow. <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry. I'm going to be in so much time out. Um, so we were talking about spooky season. I'm making that spooky Afghan I sent you pictures of. <gasps> yeah. And- and I was going to sit here and work on my afghan and listen to your story, but Natalie has robbed me of my scissors. Can I run and get my scissors really, really fast? No. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I, I have a color change. Okay, hang on. Yeah. So I think my cover is a reprint. I'm pretty sure. And it is very, very bright, like fluorescent pink, I would call it. And it doesn't have the goosebumpy lettering. It's just kind of the shiny slime green, which makes me think more so that it's a reprint because a lot of these reprints, like my Abominable Snowman, have this not goosebumped lettering. And all of my originals as a kid had goosebumps on them. Like um, it's a, it's not embossed? Yes, it's not embossed. Okay, That's the one. gotcha. <laughs> And on the cover, there is a very ominous looking house and it has the door slightly ajar and there is an eerie kind of orangey red glow coming from inside and on the window. And there's also someone or something watching you from the window. This one was published in 1992 and on the reprint, it cost $4.99. So it may have been cheaper originally, but this version was $4.99. And the tagline is, it will just kill you. Bum, bum, bum. All right, here we go. Got your afghan ready to go? I do. I have my crochet hook in hand. It nice. is in um, candy corn colors. Cute. And I am going to sit back and enjoy. We're really on grandma mode tonight. Bingo. Fuck it. I don't care. <laughs> it's 2020. Josh and Amanda hate their new house. It was much bigger than their old house, and it was tall with red brick, a sloping black roof, and windows framed by black shutters. The family arrived in Dark Falls on a hot summer day in July, but the house was covered in darkness and brown, dead leaves littered the walkway, and weeds had taken over the flower beds by the front porch. They both thought the house was creepy. Mr. Dawes, the real estate agent, was leading the family up the walkway when he turned around after hearing Josh and Amanda's loud groans. Mom and Dad assured him everything was fine and that the kids were just unhappy about moving. They will miss their friends, and Josh especially isn't looking forward to the change. Trying to sell them on the house with promises of rec rooms and dens, Amanda starts to shiver. As they get closer to the house, she just keeps getting colder. I really want to go home. I hate this place. Josh's voice cracks. Josh is the most impatient kid in the world, according to Amanda. Once he sets his mind to something, you can't convince him otherwise. But she was fairly certain he was not getting his way this time. 
a great uncle their dad had never met and their mom couldn't recall hearing about, left him the house in his will, free of charge. Amanda remembers her parents dancing around the living room at their good fortune. This was dad's way out of his desk job, and once they sell their current house, the money will allow him to work on his new book full time. Josh was trying to pull dad back to the car and was clearly embarrassing him. So Amanda intervenes and reminds her brother that they promised to give Dark Falls a chance. But Josh just says that the house is old, it's ugly, and he hates it. Dad angrily retorts that they haven't even gone inside. But Josh doesn't want to go inside. He refuses. Mom tries to excite him with the prospect of picking out his own room, but he's not budging. The kids look up at the large bay windows, which resemble two dark eyes staring back at them. And Mr. Dawes breaks the tension with some small talk. Amanda, being the more sensible sibling, knows what an opportunity this is for their family and is determined to give it a chance. They were cramped in their current house and just wishes Josh would budge a little. The family hears their little terrier, Petey, begin to bark from inside the car. Yes, another cute dog. You better leave Petey alone. Amanda yells at him to be quiet, but he's not listening. Josh decides to go let him out, and Dad tries to stop him, but he does it here. Petey comes racing up the lawn at full speed, greeting the family, and then begins to growl and bark at Mr. Dawes. Petey has never acted like this before. Mr. Dawes doesn't seem too phased and just brushes it off but mom and dad are pretty embarrassed. Josh decides he's going to stay outside with Petey and dad, exasperated, says, fine, you can live outside. And they follow Mr. Dawes into the house. Mr. Dawes takes them on a tour of every room. Amanda is starting to feel pretty excited. There were tons of rooms and tons of closets and her room was huge with its own bathroom and a window seat. The house seemed like it had an endless number of rooms, one of which was a finished attic filled with old furniture and stacks of cartons she wanted to explore with her brother. Cool. Mm-hmm. I'd love to go through the fam- shit. I know, me too. Like, sometimes it grosses me out because, like, dust and stuff, but then you always find really cool shit. Yeah, like, I hate it in movies when they're like, what are we going to do with all this stuff? I was like, get some wine. Let's do this. Like, it's a good time. You never know. You could find valuable stuff and then sell it or, like, cool shit you want to keep. Letters. Like, you never know. Yeah. Letters. So the family had lost track of time when Mr. Dawes says he thinks that he showed them everything. And they all turn to leave. But Amanda wants to check out her room one more time. She races up the stairs and down the endless hallway and starts picturing in her mind where her bed and her desk and all of her things will go. She heads back into the hall making a mental note of what posters to bring from the old house when she spots the boy. He stood in the doorway for a split second before turning and disappearing down the hall. She calls out for her brother, but realizes that wasn't Josh. That boy had white blonde hair. She runs after him and shouts, who's there? But he's gone. Was she seeing things? 
What kind of white blonde hair are we talking about? Like Casper blonde hair? Like, I what, think like so. How old kind of goes? Like, I, I, I just, I'm just saying. Close boyfriend. I saw this movie. Like, I know what happened. <laughs> They're going to dance. We all, I wanted to go with boyfriend. He didn't age well, though. No, it's sad. He like he was still still cute in Final Destination, and then he like petered off quickly. Then all of a sudden, he's like a divorcee dad. Like, <laughs> yeah, not Lame. good. Lame. So her parents are calling for her. So she heads back downstairs and asks Mister Dawes if the house is haunted. He laughs and says, "No, no ghost included." But he has heard that some of the houses in the neighborhood might be. She admits that she thinks she saw something, but Mom assures her it was probably just shadows from the big trees outside. And Dad tells her to go outside, find her brother, because they have things to discuss with Mr. Dawes. She heads to the porch, calling out to Josh and Petey. She searches the yard, and her heart sinks. They were gone. She runs to the car at the end of the driveway, but they weren't there. And she glances up and down the street, but there's no sign of them. Mom and Dad come rushing out of the house after hearing her panic shouts, and Amanda notices once again that even though the street was sunny, as soon as she crossed into her new yard, she went cold. She wasn't sure why she was so scared. Josh wanders off all the time but the family is searching all around the house and her dad is just getting angrier and angrier. He figures Josh wanted everyone to think he ran away from home. Mr. Dawes assures them he couldn't have gone far and offers to drive them around the neighborhood to look for him. As they drive, Amanda notices that all the other houses were in much better shape than hers, but they were all shaded by large, bushy trees. The street itself provided the only sunlight like a ribbon of gold amongst the shade. She also notices that there were no people out and about, as if it were abandoned. Mr. Dawes drives them past the school, no sign of Josh. So they go a few more blocks and turn onto Cemetery Drive. True to its name, a large cemetery rose up before them on the hill. And oddly enough, it was the sunniest spot in the whole town. Dad lets out a sigh and says to Mom, There's your son. Josh was running through the cemetery in a zigzag pattern, like he was chasing something. Then Amanda realized he wasn't chasing something. Someone, or something, was after him. It's bees. (laughs) Killer bees. I'm just kidding. More rats. I don't understand why, like, having a shady, like, neighborhood is a bad thing <laughs> i feel like shade trees are a selling point yeah i guess it's just because like the whole street is dark except the middle of the street like where's all the sun it's kind of weird but i kind of love that like you see pictures mm-hmm. of like streets where the trees have stretched over and make mm-hmm. this like natural archway yeah it could be pretty it turns out her imagination was once again just playing tricks on her he wasn't being chased He was chasing after Petey. She calls out to Josh and he finally notices her and tells her to come help. He can't catch Petey and he won't stop running. Dad comes and takes over the chase and Josh explains that he got this far because Petey raced off 
He was smelling the flower bed at the house one minute and then just took off down the street. He didn't want him to get lost, but he was going too fast. Luckily, Dad finally caught him and they head back to the car. And he tells Josh they have to get a leash for him. Josh starts to protest and says Petey has never been on a leash, but he had also never acted like such a weirdo before or ran off. And as a dog owner, I'm like, why does your dog have a leash in the first place? Yeah, Get there's laws. Up. Some people really think that, that they're not included, though. No. That look on their face, it's like, say something. My dog's <laughs> not on a leash. I'm a free spirit. I like my dog to be a free spirit. Get a leash for your dog. (laughs) Yeah, get a goddamn leash. Yeah, thank you. So at this point, they're driving back to the real estate office, and the car ride was pretty quiet. Amanda figures Petey isn't happy about moving either and is just scared, like Josh. Mr. Dawes hands her mom a business card, which has his name, Compton Dawes, written on it. And she asked if it was a family name, but he tells her, no, he's the only one. They go their separate ways and the family starts the drive back to their old house. Amanda tells Josh he is going to love his new room, but he just stares at her with this strange, thoughtful look. The next few weeks crawl by as moving day approaches. Everyone in the house is a bit tense. Mom and dad are bickering. Josh is sulking. And even Petey isn't interested in bacon scraps. Amanda is filled with morbid thoughts about the move. She'll never sit in this room again or eat dinner in this kitchen. And she was starting to really get sad about leaving her friends. Oh, <laughs> so dramatic. I'll never sit in this chair. I'll never sit in this chair. I'll never look out this window. Yeah. Goodbye, floor. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye, carpet. I love this kid. Two of her friends were away at camp, so she wrote them letters. But her best friend Kathy was home, and they shared a tearful goodbye with promises to call and always be together on their birthdays. The boxes were packed, and moving day was here. It was a gray, rainy morning, and Dad was anxious to beat the movers to the house. He knew they wouldn't unpack correctly. Josh is moping as usual, and Petey is acting like a fucking nut job again. Howling howling and clawing at the back window, and nobody can understand why he is acting like this. They reach the house, and only Amanda is slightly happy to be there. The rest of the family heads up the steps to get out of the rain, but something catches her eye. She looks up at the bay windows again and sees a face in the window on the left. It was the blonde boy from the hallway, and he was staring down at her. Making sure not to track mud in the house, she wipes her feet and calls out to her mom to tell her that there is someone in the house. Mom was staring out the window, and she spins around and rolls her eyes. There is no one in this house. Josh strolls in laughing, and Amanda keeps pressing the issue. She saw a boy in the window. Someone is upstairs. Amanda, Mom snaps. You probably saw a reflection of a tree. Give it a rest. 
Mom was exasperated and in no mood for either of her children's shenanigans. Amanda is convinced that she saw the boy and calls upstairs, and her mom clamps her hands over her ears. She decides to go upstairs, making sure her sneakers were making loud thuds as she went. I feel like that's a weird response from mom. This is a brand new house. Anybody could be squatting in it. I know. There could be homeless people in it. (laughs) Shut up, kid. Why don't you go check it out? Okay, cool. Mom, bye. Bye. So she's stomping upstairs, and she's like, why didn't mom believe her? Nobody believes me. She wasn't really scared until she reached the second floor. Then she got a heavy feeling in the pit of her stomach. She stopped and leaned on the banister, catching her breath. Who was up here? Was it a burglar? A neighborhood kid playing a prank? Maybe she shouldn't be up here alone after all. So we think about these things later. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. So she calls out again from the safety of the banister, but nobody responds. All she hears is the sound of the driving rain outside. She takes one step forward into the hall the only light coming from the window at the far end. The floorboards were creaking and moaning under her footsteps. Finding a light switch, she tries it, but it doesn't work. Standing in one of the doorways, she calls out again, reaches out a shaking hand for the doorknob. It was hot and damp. Opening the door, a large bolt of lightning filled the gray room with light and the sound made her jump back. This could be a guest room or Josh's room and her room was next door. Does that mean the boy could be in her room? Stepping back out into the hall, she runs her hand along the wall for comfort, reaches the door to her room and knocks. Silence. A loud clap of thunder roars and she is paralyzed with fear. It's so hot, and the smell of wet paint from the painters earlier that day was making her dizzy. Amanda starts to turn the knob. When the boy creeps behind her and places a hand on her shoulder. Nope. Ow. (laughs) Listen, creepy kid. (laughs) Keep your hands to yourself. That's how this works. You can you can float around and be kind of mysterious, and that's cool. But um, let's not touch each other. Let's not. Let's not do that. No touching. No touching. She felt like her heart was about to burst out of her chest. She turned around, terrified. It was Josh. He let out a high-pitched laugh and started rolling around on the floor in a fit. A man, brothers, man. Amanda turns away from him in anger and sees her bedroom door slowly opening by itself. She gasps and Josh immediately stops laughing. His expression turned to one of sheer terror. Amanda could hear something or someone moving inside the room. There was whispering and soft giggles. Josh had backed up against the wall and was making his way toward the stairs, motioning violently for her to follow. 
but she wants to know who is inside her room. Stepping forward, the door makes a loud creak, like in an old haunted house movie. She shouts who's there, but there is once again no response. Then she sees what is making the door move. A window had been left open and was likely the cause of the strange sounds too. Figuring it had to have been the painters, she feels a little foolish and closes the window. Josh whispers out to her from the hall just to make sure she was all right. She was about to respond, but thinks, why not give him a little scare for some payback? He's starting to tiptoe toward the room and she hides her head and shoulders inside the closet with the rest of her body hanging out and onto the floor. He was going to freak when he saw her like this. Amanda? Josh calls out and she lets out a moan. Any second now, the lightning would flash and he'd see her sprawled out on the floor. He screams at the top of his lungs and shouts for mom and dad and tears down the hall, screaming the entire way downstairs. Before Amanda has a chance to get up, Petey appears and starts licking every inch of her face. It was like he was trying to revive her. She tries to get him to stop, but he's relentless. Taking his sweet face in her hands, she tells him not to be so nervous and that this house is going to be a lot of fun. So I'm confused. What's the random lightning? Oh, it was raining. I thought I said that. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I No, I, I, I probably just wasn't listening. I'm going, is there ball <laughs> lightning happening? Random? Like, I don't understand what's okay. No, I, am, I didn't. I'm on board. So when they got there, it is raining. I will um, hopefully I said it earlier. When they got to the house that day, it's raining. So it's like a gray. I bet and you did. And I just, and I just missed it. Cause I'm okay. like the lightning flashes. Yeah. So it was raining <laughs> and then lightning comes and yeah. Cool, cool. <laughs> Turns into a big rainstorm. All right. I will pay more attention. I apologize. <laughs> so Amanda was really proud of herself as she settled into bed that night. Mom and dad, on the other hand, were not and forced Josh and Amanda to make a truce. No more scaring each other in the house. The movers arrived an hour late, making excuses because of the rain, and started bringing in all of their furniture. Amanda thought all of their belongings looked too small in their big house, but mom and dad had worked all day unpacking and even managed to hang up Amanda's new curtains, and she was looking forward to getting some sleep for the first time in her new home. But no matter what position she tried, she could not get comfortable. Her back started to itch, and she was sure the bed was full of bugs. But she was just going insane. It was her same bed with brand new clean sheets. So she buries her face into the pillow and tries her trick of counting silently by two. She yawns loudly, but at 2.20 a.m., she was still awake and convinced she would be awake forever. But she must have drifted off because something startled her awake and she sat straight up in bed. Even though her room was hot, she felt frozen and saw that she had kicked off her blankets and sheets onto the floor. She started to reach for them, but stops in her tracks. 
Someone was there. She heard whispers from across the room. She pulls the blankets up to her chin and her eyes adjust to the darkness. Her new curtains were billowing, explaining the sound, and they were casting long shadows onto her bed. And with a yawn, she gets up to close the window. Parting the curtains, she jumps backward. The window was closed. How are the curtains billowing this much? She didn't feel a draft. They seemed pretty airtight. She has got to stop scaring herself and go back to bed. Everything was fine. Doesn't Amanda know that if you're under the covers, you're fine? I know. Just stay there. Not to your chin. Don't get up to check the window. (laughs) Just stay where you are. Under the covers and stay there and it will be fine. Universal (laughs) law. Yep. Amanda has the ugliest, most horrible dream. Amanda dreamed that her entire family was dead. They were sitting around the dining table in their new house. And at first, everything was a soft blur. But once it was in focus, she saw that beneath their hair, their skin was gone and only gray-green skulls were left. Bits of flesh were hanging from their cheeks and deep black sockets were where their eyes had been. They were sitting at the dinner table eating what looked like bones, gray-green human bones that were piled high on a platter in the center of the table. Their gruesome dinner was interrupted by loud banging at the door. It was Kathy. All Amanda wanted to do was run to the door and see her, but she couldn't get up. The pounding got so loud it was deafening, but all she could do was to keep eating the bones. The horrible dream stuck with Amanda as she woke up the next morning. It was a blue sky out and the curtains were billowing again, but the window was still closed. Dad says he will check the window for a draft or a missing pane. And it turns out that nobody got much sleep last night. Amanda starts talking about the strange goings on with her curtains and the boy, and mom immediately puts a stop to it. She is just getting used to the new house and her mind is playing tricks on her. This has got to stop. Josh asks what the plan for the di- is for the day, something he always does because he likes to argue about it. Mom and dad explain that they have a lot of unpacking left to do and encourage the kids to get out of the house, take Petey on a long walk and explore the neighborhood. Maybe they will meet some kids. Of course, Josh is not into this idea because he can't take his bike, which were buried in the garage somewhere. Dad and Josh continue to argue, and Amanda offers to wash the breakfast dishes. The warm water felt good on her cold hands, and she heads upstairs to get dressed, telling Josh she'll be ready in five minutes, and they'll head out. She stops at the front of the stairs. On the landing, a little girl with short black hair, was staring at her. She was smiling, but not a warm smile. It was the coldest, most frightening smile she had ever seen. 
A hand touches her shoulder, but this time she knew it was Josh. She looks at the landing again, but the girl was gone. Yelling for her dad to come over, he was in no mood to be bothered and just like her mom, told her to quit it. There was no one else living in the house except for some mice. But she knew what she saw and she was upset that her dad didn't believe her either. We need to do a Patreon episode where we count down <laughs> and rank like the worst parents. That's a good idea. <laughs> yes, that's a good idea. They're all really bad. They're all <laughs> shitty, but wouldn't it be fun to like put them in order? You know who the best parent is? Secret Agent Grandma. She's the secret agent grandma. She be the best parent. Yeah, she's got my vote. Mm -hmm. They go to the backyard to get Petey, and the sight of him makes Amanda feel better instantly. Not taking their dad's good advice, they don't put Petey on a leash and start on their walk, kicking up the dead leaves. And they know that dad is going to ask them to rake them. Once the rake is unpacked, that is. Amanda and Josh head toward the school, and the street sloped uphill. It was hot and muggy, but the sky was gray, and everything was still. Petey was running ahead, but they were keeping sight of him. No one was on the street, and no cars went by. Amanda was starting to think this place really was deserted. Until the boy stepped out from behind a hedge. He said hi, shyly, and gave a little wave. Amanda and Josh say hi back in unison and didn't grab Petey before it was too late. He began barking and growling at the boy. So Josh picked him up and he wouldn't stop. The boy said it was okay and figured he just smelled something on him. The boy had short, blonde hair and pale blue eyes and a funny upturned nose. Despite the weather, he was wearing a long sleeve sweatshirt and long pants. He introduces himself as Ray Thurston, and Amanda realizes that he looked really familiar. But how? Where did she see him before? She gasped in fright as soon as she remembered. Ray was the boy, the boy in her room. And she blurts out, you were in our house. And he just looks confused. Amanda starts to doubt herself. And Ray says that he hasn't seen their house in a long time. But he used to live there. Now he lives up the road. Petey starts barking and growling again. And Ray takes a few steps back. Josh decides it was time for the leash. And this put Ray at ease. Josh asked Ray if he liked their house, and he said it was okay. Then he suggests they do something, but nobody really has any bright ideas. Amanda comments on how dead the street and the neighborhood are, and Ray just laughs. He suggests they go to the playground behind the school, which sounded fine to them. They head off in that direction and had already started turning the corner before they noticed the gang of kids. They were walking toward them up the middle of the street, at least 10 or 12, mostly boys and a few girls, and many of them were teenagers. A tall boy shouted, hey, look, 
and pointed at Amanda, Ray, and Josh. They approach, and one of the older boys says hi to Ray, and the rest of the group is laughing for some reason. Ray tells Amanda and Josh that these are some of his friends from school, and he introduces all the kids in the group. The acting leader was George Carpenter. Petey, meanwhile, is going crazy on his leash and will not stop barking. A few of the kids ask what kind of dog he was, as if they had never seen one that looked like him before. A pretty girl named Karen said quietly to Amanda that she used to live in their house. And Amanda wasn't sure if she had heard her correctly. Did she really say that? Ray suggests again to head to the playground, but nobody responds. Everything had gone quiet, even Petey. Amanda realized that the kids were surrounding them and had formed a circle. And suddenly they all looked different to her, no longer friendly. And she sees that two of them are holding baseball bats. Ray doesn't seem phased and Josh is busy fussing with Petey. Trying to keep it light, she asks, "Uh, hey, what's going on? And the two boys with baseball bats started moving closer and held them up waist high. The fear was making her chest seize. It seemed like the sky was getting darker and everything felt damp. Ray was still standing expressionless at her side and Josh was oblivious. Then a man's voice calls out from down the street. It was Mr. Dawes. He came striding over, smiling from ear to ear, and he doesn't seem to realize that this group is closing in on them. They tell him they're heading to the playground, and their menacing stances seem to fade. Amanda starts to feel pretty silly, and thinking again that her imagination is running wild. At least, she hopes so, anyway. So the Sandlot kids show up and act creepy? (laughs) Yep, it's the Sandlot. I mean, that's, I never, I never knew of any kids who rolled like 12 deep. Me either. I didn't have that many friends. (laughs) <laughs> like i knew some some people packed up together but i never knew a pack of 12 12 no way so the playground was empty as if everybody in the neighborhood didn't want to get caught in the rain it was a pretty large space with multiple fields a swing set and some other jungle gym type stuff the group split into two for a game of baseball ray and amanda were on one team and josh was on the other They played about two innings, and Amanda actually had some fun. It felt good to be within a group of kids and out of the house. The game ended when one of the boys, Jerry Franklin, blew his large silver whistle, 11.30 sharp. They had all promised their parents they would be home for lunch, and off they ran. Amanda couldn't believe how fast they all dispersed, like it was a race. During the game she started talking to Karen Somerset. They got along really well, and she suggests that they get together sometime. Amanda asked if she knew where she lived, and Karen replied, she knew it. She used to live there. Everybody used to live there? Apparently. A few days go by, and Amanda and Josh are settled into the new house and with their new group of friends. Though to be honest... They are finding it hard to get to know them, but they're having fun anyway. Amanda constantly hears giggles and whispers in her room and in the halls, 
but she is so used to them at this point, they're like white noise. Petey, on the other hand, was still finding it impossible to settle into his new environment. Each time Josh and Amanda go to play baseball with their friends, they tie up Petey to a nearby fence. This particular day, he got loose and went missing. They spend the whole afternoon searching up and down the neighborhood, calling for him everywhere they can. It dawns on Josh that he may have run home, so they head there, but mom and dad have not seen Petey either. And this is where I pause. This whole incident with the dog makes me so mad, especially this part. So dad says to Josh, he's too busy to take him driving around the neighborhood looking for the dog. Fuck you, dad. Exactly. I'm like, are you kidding me? Your dog is missing. Go look for the dog. Wow. And I skipped this part, but basically mom won't let them go look for the dog until they eat fucking lunch. And dad is just too busy to go. Whatever. Right. So dinner time rolls around and there's still no sign of him. And mom and dad have to go to a neighbor's house for potluck, for a potluck. Already? So the kids, yeah. They've already so, gotten invited to a potluck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the dog is still missing. They yeah, don't give a crap. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Let's go to this potluck with people we don't know. Sounds good. <laughs> so okay. the kids are going to be on their own for the night. They both head off to bed, heartbroken, of course. And Amanda came to her room to find her clothes were thrown everywhere. Just like the last book. Oh my goodness, it is a theme. Maybe they share ghosts. Maybe the ghosts are in. But she assumed it must have been mom for getting to put laundry away or something. She cleaned it up and got ready for bed. (laughs) Her mom's just like, whatever. It's like you wait till the kids are gone and go in the room and they're like, fuck you. Not hanging up stupidest your thing ever. Like your mom just walked in and was like, bleh, like threw shit everywhere. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> your kids are like, mom didn't hang up my laundry. No, that's what it looks like without me going in there. Yeah, right. That's, she did that to herself. So Amanda was lying awake, staring at the ceiling, when she heard her bedroom door creak open. Then footsteps on the floorboards. She jumps up in bed. Shh, it's me. It took her a few minutes to recognize that it was Josh, who was blinding her with his flashlight. Josh claimed to know where Petey was, and he was leaving to go look for him. He was convinced that he went back to the cemetery. And that first day, it seemed like Petey was looking for something. It was after midnight, and Amanda wasn't thrilled about having to go walking around a strange cemetery at night, but Josh would not budge. He was going with or without her. Amanda gets dressed and meet him at the end of the driveway. The street was completely dark. There were no street lights, and all of the houses were black. Luckily, the cemetery was only two blocks away, so she insists her brother walk fast. Making their way up the hill, leaves crunching beneath their feet, Amanda hears scraping sounds 
coming from behind. Someone was following them. Josh was so scared, he dropped the flashlight. Luckily, the light didn't go out. They turn around, hearts beating out of their chests, and see their friend, Ray. Josh shines the light in his direction, but Ray jumps backward into the darkness. Amanda asks him what he's doing outside, and I guess Ray can't sleep sometimes, so he just walks around the neighborhood. She asks if his parents mind, and with a wicked smile, he tells her, they don't know. Josh is growing impatient and fills him in on the situation with Petey and that they're heading to the cemetery. In a voice that sounded so menacing, it actually made Amanda stop. Ray says, no, you're not. Josh has already run too far ahead and misses his threatening words. And he says again, you can't go there. Amanda demands to know why. And he says they would be nuts to go in at night. Ray was just afraid of the cemetery. That was all. He wasn't actually threatening them. The trio presses on, past the deserted school, and making their way to Cemetery Drive. Ray just keeps repeating this is a very bad idea, but Josh is determined to find Petey. Amanda is starting to think Ray might be right but she doesn't want her brother to be alone. They cross through a gate and rows of crooked tombstones are stretched out before them. The cemetery felt so much bigger at night. Calls of Petey, Petey, broke up the silent sleep of the dead. And from off in the distance, Josh calls for Ray and Amanda to come over. He had found something. They reached the edge of the graveyard and came upon some kind of outdoor theater. There was a stage and rows of bench seats sunken into the ground. She thought this was a very strange place for a theater to be and steps forward to get a better look. Ray tries to grab her arm and tells her we should go home, but he only grabs the air. Stepping forward, Amanda trips hard over a large tree root that was bent over the stage. The tree it was connected to looked like it was about to topple over at any second. They ask Ray if he knows what they're looking at, and he says that it's a meeting place. Sometimes they have town meetings there. Again, in mm -hmm, mm -hmm, it's all normal. This people do. <laughs> so you, you have a uh, outdoor amphitheater <laughs> style meeting area for the town in the cemetery. Mm-hmm. It's all fine. What do they do in the winter? Be cold. No meetings <laughs> in the winter. Got it. Okay. Got it. Good to go. He insists they need to go and is so nervous that he looks like he's about to be sick. Then all three of them hear the footsteps. They were coming from behind in between the graves. Josh signs his light over the grounds and there was Petey. He was right. They race over to him, but he goes into a stance that looks as though he is about to run away. The flashlight making his eyes shine like red jewels. 
Josh gets closer and Petey lowers his head and begins to walk away. It was as though he didn't recognize them. Josh races after him, scoops him up off the ground, but drops him almost immediately and says he stinks like a dead rat. Petey continues to walk away from the group, following the gravestones and only looking back once to glare at them. Amanda feels sick. What happened to their dog? Why is he acting like this? Josh thinks that maybe this wasn't Petey, but Amanda points out that he was pulling his leash. She tells Josh to go get him and will bring him home, but he won't go. He says Petey smells too awful and she has to do it. So poor Amanda had no choice. But instead of listening to her command to sit, he starts to run away again. She is in no mood to chase, but after this whole night, they can't let him get away again. Eventually, they lose sight of him, and the flashlight shines over rows of different gravestones, and one of the names makes her stand back in shock. She grabs Josh by the sleeve and holds on tight, telling him to look. He reads aloud the name carved in the stone, Karen Somerset. Amanda tells him that is her new friend, Karen, the one she talks to every day at the playground. Josh figures it must be her grandma or something, but Amanda points out the dates, 1960 to 1972. Karen had died when she was 12, the exact same age that Amanda is right now. Amanda starts to shine the light at different stones. The next name she didn't recognize, but then she saw George Carpenter, another boy they'd play with every day, and he had lived from 1975 to 1988. Josh tells her to quit this and they have to find Petey. But her horror keeps growing as more names appear. Jerry Franklin, Bill Gregory, all of the kids they play with have gravestones here. That is a problem. <laughs> a big one. What a bummer. You move to a new new town. You make some friends. You know, things are looking up. And then it's like, well, they're all dead. They're all dead. But in the upswing, they haven't tried to eat your face yet. Right. So we're, we're good there. I mean, maybe you're just those weird kids that play with ghosts <laughs> and have baseball. Look at Casper. Um, Friendly. They, this could be Casper. I mean, but like a lot of them a lot mm -hmm. but then wait a minute like when did the girl die um 1972 so these are all kids from the 70s it looks like it yeah mm -hmm. so they all died around the wrong right time in the same town mm-hmm mm -hmm. okay mm -hmm. noted <laughs> noted developing <Putting>. some theories <laughs> Then she sees it. Ray Thurston, 1977 to 1988. 
the world seemed to fall away as she read the letters and numbers over and over and over until they were a gray blur. Then she realized that Ray had crept behind the tombstone. She flashes the light at him and yells, This one is you! His eyes flared like glowing embers. He moved toward her slowly and says, I'm so sorry, Amanda. Amanda takes a step back, her shoes digging into the soft, wet earth. Everything was deathly still. She was surrounded by death. Ray says that he's sorry again and that she wasn't supposed to find out like this. She tries to call out to Josh, who was at the street still looking for Petey, but no sound can come from her throat. A horrible feeling is tying her stomach in knots. Dogs always know, says Ray. They can smell the stink of death and can recognize the living dead. So they must go first. She chokes out. Is Petey dead? And Ray nods. They always kill the dogs first. Fuck you, Ray. Well, if their dad had gone looking... <laughs> That's true. If dad had gotten off his ass... Gone after the dog, maybe. Maybe. Or maybe if they, you know, followed the law and had the dog on a leash. Mm-hmm. We never, we may not. Shit would have happened. Amanda loses her balance and trips over a gravestone, trying to push it away and get farther from Ray. He keeps saying he's sorry and that she wasn't supposed to see any of this. Not for a few more weeks, anyway. He is the Watcher, and he was supposed to make sure she didn't see anything until it was time. Ray's eyes are lighting up red, burning into Amanda's. She asks him if he was the one watching them from the window and the one that has been in her room. He nods yes and tells her that he too used to live in her house. She wants to scream for help, but is frozen in fear. We need fresh blood, Ray says. Ray tells her that the town of Dark Falls cannot survive without fresh blood. None of them can, and she'll understand everything soon. She'll understand why they had to invite her to the house, the dead house. She hears Josh's footsteps getting closer and wishes she could tell him to run, run away, but she can't. Ray is staring at her with his red eyes and stone cold features. He was the watcher and he messed up. And he begins to raise himself off the ground and hover over Amanda. She was starting to choke. She couldn't move or breathe. Looking down for Josh's light, he was nowhere to be seen. Ray continues to float higher, choking and blinding Amanda. I'm dead, she thought. Dead. Then there was a light, a bright beam of light in the darkness. 
Josh pointed the flashlight directly at Ray's face and nervously asked, what the hell is going on? Ray starts to screech, turn it off, turn it off. But Josh held the beam directly on him and he moves his arms to shield himself, but the damage was done. His skin was melting. His entire face sagged, then fell off, dropping off his skull. Amanda cannot look away from the horror before her. Ray's skin folded and dropped and melted away. As the bones were revealed, his eyeballs rolled out of their sockets and on to the ground. Somehow, Josh was holding the light steady and the grinning skull of Ray was staring back at them and took a step forward. Amanda shrieks, then realizes he wasn't walking. He was falling. She jumps to the side and he crumbled to the ground. His skull hitting the top of a gravestone and cracking open with a splat. Josh is pulling on her sleeve, begging her to start running, but she can't look away from the pile of bones. That is now Ray. But before she knew it, she was running as fast as they could down the street. That's such an 80s horror movie effect. Uh-huh. Where they like, they just microwave the like the wax figure and like let it move. Yes. <laughs> and the little eyeballs pop out and roll away. But it's always effective. It's always effective, but I thought that was cute. I went, oh, that's so 80s. So Amanda says that they have to tell mom and dad and get the fuck out. But Josh says they will never believe them. He's not even sure that he believes what just happened. Racing through the streets, the only sounds are their thudding of their shoes and the crunching of leaves. And the only light was coming from their flashlight. Amanda has a sharp pain in her side from running so fast, but she forces herself to keep going. And when they reach the house and race up the steps, they run in screaming for their mom and their dad. But they were nowhere to be found. Making sure to turn on all the lights in the house, they remember they were invited to that potluck party, but it was already 2 a.m. The party couldn't still be going. Maybe. They, maybe. Potluck. What kind of neighborhood is this? Like, do you drop your keys in a fishbowl? Right? <laughs> Potluck. <laughs> they check the kitchen for a note, but they didn't leave one. Amanda almost tells Josh that she is worried something happened to them, but she doesn't want to give him more reason to panic. Do they call the police? Do they go search the neighborhood? Both of them just wish they were home so they could leave. In the kitchen, Amanda presses her forehead against the cool glass of the window, peering out onto the street. Then a little girl's voice from behind her spins them both around and they scream. It was Karen. Amanda points out the obvious that she's dead and Karen makes a sad smile. More kids from the neighborhood begin to appear and stand next to her making sure to turn off the lights as they approach. Amanda screams, what are you doing here? What are you going to do? And they all repeat 
that they used to live here. And now guess what? They are dead in their house. For some reason, this little joke makes all the undead kids cackle as they close in on Josh and Amanda. It's a boarding house. <laughs> I think you know they still well, have those. They still have those? Oh yeah. When um when I first moved to Denver and uh I was <laughs> was getting a divorce and I I it's hard to find an apartment when you don't live in a place and you don't know anybody who lives in a place. So I got it in my head. I saw an ad on Craigslist for a boarding house, a 1970s wow. mansion where people rented rooms out. That's and in my head, I was like, this is fantastic. Because <laughs> I was having all of these like 1940s girl movie daydreams about like, you know, other women who are getting divorced and we were going to lounge around and smoke cigarettes and drink martinis and you know down with men and all like and this i was like yes sign me up so it was it was a month to month contract so i get there me and my dog i see the room it's okay and i learn very very quickly that modern boarding houses are actually halfway houses. Oh, and if you I didn't know that. <laughs> are separated from your spouse, or if you are a chronic alcoholic, or if you're a raging mean lesbian, or a teenaged Mormon back from a mission, um, you all live in the same house and hate each other and like secretly hope no one comes in to kill you. Well, Um, yeah, it was terrifying. It was a terrifying two weeks before I found an apartment. But yeah, boarding houses are still a thing. This is a ghost boarding house. You know, ghost boarding house, new movie idea. (laughs) So they have their backs pressed against the window and the kids keep closing in. Amanda tells Karen she was so nice. And Karen replies, I was nice until I moved here. George chimes in and says, we were all nice, but now we're dead. They all start to laugh again. The cold, dry cackle. Karen tells Amanda not to be scared and soon you'll be with us. That's why we invited you to the house. This was the dead house. It was where everyone lived when they first got to Dark Falls when they're still alive. There was no great uncle. The letter was just a trick to get them to move because once a year, someone new has to move here. In years past, it was all of them, but now the town needs fresh blood. Moving forward, seeming to hover over Josh and Amanda, she takes a deep breath and shuts her eyes. She feels like this will be her last breath. But they hear a knocking at the door. Amanda opens her eyes, and the ghost kids all had vanished. They immediately think it's mom and dad, and they race toward the door. 
practically knocking over the furniture. With her arms outstretched to grab hold of them and never let go, it turns out it was Mr. Dawes. He asks if they're okay, and he says he got here just in time. Thank God they were still safe. He grabs Amanda's arm, and she notices that he had left his car running in the driveway. She starts to think, what if he's one of them? But then he says that he was at the party with their parents, and just like with the kids, they were surrounded, and somehow the three of them got away. Josh asks where his parents are, and Mr. Dawes is there somewhere safe, and he will take them there right away. But they have got to go right now. They were in danger. Suspicious. Yeah, you still don't get in the car. Don't Sneaky get adults. in the car. Teach your kids about sneaky adults. Adults do not need help from children. Nope. Not for any reason do they need your help. But they all get into the car. And, and Mr. Dawes starts telling them things they already know. Something is wrong with the whole town. They need to get as far away as possible. He was speeding down the street in no clear direction. Amanda tells him that their house is full of dead kids. And this only makes his foot press the gas pedal harder. Once again, Josh asks where their parents are, and he tells that they are safe at the outdoor theater at the cemetery. He told them not to move, and he doesn't think anyone will go and look for them there. Suddenly, Josh's flashlight lit up the back seat. Mr. Dawes seems startled by it, and Josh turns it off. The sun would be coming up, and he probably wouldn't need it anymore. He hits the brakes, and they have pulled up next to the cemetery. Climbing out of the car, Mr. Dawes is hurrying them along, and Josh calls out, Petey! Amanda had not had the time to tell him that Petey was dead, and he takes off running toward him at the edge of the cemetery. Mr. Dawes says they don't have time and they have to keep moving, but Amanda goes off running after her brother. She sees him trip and fall over a headstone the flashlight clattering to the ground. Amanda tries to help him up, but he's frozen in fear and tells her to look. The light was shining directly on the headstone of Compton Dawes, 1950 to 1980. Her head starts to spin. He was dead, 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 dead. The whole town was dead. A hand grips Amanda's shoulder tightly. They spin around and Mr. Dawes is smiling a soft, sullen smile. Amanda cries out, you too? And he says, him too. All of them. The town was once a normal town. Everyone pretty much worked at the nearby plastics factory. But one day there was an accident. Something escaped a yellow gas that floated over the whole town and nobody noticed before it was too late. Then the town changed and it was full of the living dead. They couldn't rest and they couldn't sleep. Her knees were trembling so hard she could barely stand. Asking again what they planned to do to them and Mr. Dawes doesn't reply. Standing this close to him, she notices that his breath is sour, like the smell of death. 
Trying to pull away from him, he tells her not to be afraid and that it doesn't hurt to die. Josh shouts no and dives, dives for his flashlight, quickly aiming it at Mr. Dawes, but there was no more light. It must have broken when it hit the ground. And Mr. Dawes smiled a smile of victory. It faded quickly, and at this distance, they could more easily see that Mr. Dawes didn't look so young after all. His skin was thin and sagging beneath his eyes. He shoved them both forward, getting rougher as they kept resisting. Josh was still holding the, flash, the broken flashlight and decided to chuck it straight at Mr. Dawes' head. It hit the center of his skull with a sickening crack, splitting a hole right in the middle. And they take off running. Zigzagging through the gravestones, running as fast as they can away from Mr. Dawes. Looking back, they see him staggering, but not moving toward them. He can't leave the shade. It's too bright for him as the sun is starting to rise in the purple sky. He turns and heads toward the amphitheater. They stop to catch their breath and hide behind a large tree. Josh tells her to look and the whole graveyard had come to life. Spirits were rising up from the graves all throughout the cemetery and walking toward the amphitheater. She noticed Karen, George, and the other kids that were at the house, but not Ray, because they had killed him earlier that night. Josh interrupts her morbid thoughts and asks if she really thinks mom and dad are there too. And she isn't sure, but they know they have to find out. Trying their best to stay out of sight, they make their way to the decaying tree and the amphitheater. Hiding behind it, they peek out and see their parents tied back to back. Mom looked disheveled and neither of them were speaking. Mr. Dawes was near them and he was speaking with an older man they didn't recognize. They kept hearing low murmurs and whispers. The entire town had filled the seats of the theater. There was not a single empty space. Both starting to panic, they know that at any moment their parents are about to be killed. They had to do something, but they had no idea what. Then it comes to Amanda. They were going to push the tree over. With the tree knocked over, sunlight will come pouring in and they will all crumble. Josh is looking at her like she's crazy, but she knows they can push it over. It's practically falling down already. They needed one hard push. So they decide to run at it with all of their strength. Their shoes dug into the dirt and they hit the trunk hard, pushing and pushing their shoulders into it, but it didn't move. The tree is going nowhere and Josh is ready to give up, which infuriates Amanda. They hear voices that are starting to get really angry sounding and she buries her face in her hands. Then there was the sound, the sound of a soft crack. And it made Amanda jump back. It was the tree. It was slowly cracking and beginning to unearth itself. The sound got louder and louder until it was a rumble. And it felt as if the earth itself was going to crack open. It fell quickly. It didn't have far to fall and the glorious sun appeared. The cries began instantly, a mix of horrified, angry, and frantic. 
they turned to howls of pain as the sun started to inflict its damage on them. The undead were scrambling over each other, doing anything they could to try and get out of the light, but they could not escape the sun's rays. Their skin was starting to drop off their bones, and piles of bones and powder would drop to the ground as each town member met their demise. Amanda's mouth was gaped open, staring in horror at the gruesome scene when she spots Karen Somerset. She saw her hair fall to the floor in a pile, her dark skull underneath. Karen set her gaze on Amanda and gave her a longing look, a look of regret. And then her eyeballs came tumbling out of her head and rolled onto the ground. Then she opened her toothless mouth and cried out, thank you, to Amanda. She and Josh cover their ears. They can't take listening to the sounds of the townspeople dying or watching their bones fall to the floor and skin fall off. After a moment or two, they look back and everyone was gone. Except for mom and dad, who were exactly where they left them, tied back to back. They cry out to them and the look on their faces is one the kids will never, ever forget. In what seemed like record time, they were packed and moving back to the old house. Luckily for them, they never sold the place. All packed into the car and ready to leave this horror show behind, Amanda yells, stop, just before the car takes off down the street. Something inside of her was urging her to take one last look at the dead house. Despite shouting from her parents, she opens the door to the car, straight into the driveway, and stares in a trance at the house. She has no idea how long she was standing there when a crunch of leaves under tires snapped her awake. A red station wagon parked in the driveway and a family was exiting the car with two boys about Josh's age. The mother was smiling ear to ear, telling them that this was their new home and she could hear the boy say that the house was old. Suddenly one turns to Amanda and asks, who are you? And she doesn't quite know what to say. She stammers and for some reason says, I used to live in your house. Then takes off running back to her parents' car. She swore she saw Mr. Dawes waiting on the porch with his clipboard in hand, but she knew it couldn't be him. There was just no way. She took one last look at the dead house, slammed the car door shut, and they drove away. I'm trying to remember, have we ever had an intelligent zombie movie? An intelligent zombie movie? Well, what was that not very good day of the remake, one of the Dawn of the Deads? or Was it like the 2004 Day of the Dead, where they're fast? Yeah, they could run and swim and stuff. Well, I mean like one where they were like, they could speak Talk. and like reason and yeah, and really maybe cool. organize. Mm-hmm. This is kind of the only thing I'm thinking of is like warm bodies, but that. But he even still wasn't like. Yeah, but there was some like organization. Like there were the yeah, bonies yeah. that like you know there was a hierarchy. There was oh, some oh, understanding. You're, you're right about that. Mm-hmm. But I'm trying to remember if, aside from this story, if I've ever come across a, like, legitimately kind of, we're undead, but we are organized and 
It is odd that like sunlight would just kill them. I feel like they maybe mm -hmm. just regenerate somewhere. It's kind of vampire-y. Yeah. A little bit. It was mm -hmm. good though. I like I liked I liked all of it. The whole setup and the the house was super creepy and little kids are super creepy. I hate little kids. <laughs> like dead and little we... kids or little kid voices or singing yeah. little No, kids. thank you. No. <laughs> I'm coloring. Yeah, no you're not. No, I'm not. <laughs> Put that shit away. You're allowed one color. It's green. Make it happy. Um, no, we spent a lot of time in the cemetery, and I always like that. There was a um, lot more. There was so much. I had to cut out stuff, but there's, there's a, lot of re, a lot of repeat information. Like, there's so many gravestones. But, yeah. Right. I tried right. to cover yeah. it. Yeah, I wasn't sure. I figured it was had to be some kind of, like, big disaster. Mm -hmm. that killed everybody at the same time but they're almost suggesting that like that that whatever gas escaped mm -hmm. was like the t-virus and like made them yeah kind of they really didn't go into much more detail than that it was just like there was the plastic factory there was an accident there was gas and now we're all the living dead like that's really it well, and i plastic I, smells awful i can't remember if this was in the movies at all i want to say no I don't really I think. I don't think so. No, I don't think there was any nod to. Yeah, which is kind of a bummer. It, it's a good one. I mean, it'd be, so it'd be hard for them to do, though. Like, there's no iconic villain. Yeah. They would have to include the house. They could yeah. go to the house. There could be a kid there. You know, that could yeah. be what they, you know, that would be it. It would be the house, really. Not so much the kids, you know. Right. But, the house itself. Mm -hmm. hey, and no, I, really I, I like that. I don't really think we consider Stein's house and that book the dead house because there was no ghosts in that house. So, <clears throat> no, but it's got to be a nod to um, maybe a book we haven't covered yet with the um, where he, you know, he hears the girl calling out and the police come and it's like, oh no, it was just my TV. Yeah, like, we've not had that. Um, I forgot which one that was now. I I don't know. I don't know which book that's referencing. I'm going to have to go Wikipedia it. <laughs> I mean, I know that the twist thing, obviously, at the end where she's a ghost, that's probably girl next door or ghost yeah, next door. And we looked that up and that was confirmed. That was supposed to be Hannah. So right. That, yeah. But mm -hmm. in that story that, like, I, I think, I still think that there's probably another book out there where he's. I think so, too. I think you're right. Yeah. Okay. And the people who know are screaming at us in their cars right now. I know. I'm so sorry. We're tired. <laughs> yeah, it's super late, y'all. You don't know. Um, no, yes, good times. I remember that book. I didn't remember all the details, but it was, it was good to have have some of it come back. But that's part of, I think, what hooked me into that uh, genre. Because you have to remember, there wasn't a lot no. to choose from. Like, if you weren't into Boxcar Children or Sweet Valley High... Mm -hmm. Or the babysitter, like if those, if that wasn't your jam, and I used to fall asleep trying to read that stuff, like yeah. Laura Ingalls Wild, like I don't care, I get, I, I could give a fuck about mud houses, I, and I was a Sweet Valley High fan. <laughs> I guess I wasn't girly in it. Like in the early days, it was truly about the horror. Like somebody had to be dying in order to keep me entertained. Yeah, I, I think I, I was a. I was a mix of both. I definitely loved all of these, but then, of course, I was still like, 
I still liked my Sweet Valley High. And it I was like the show. I love that show. <laughs> what was the one on the boat? Remember there was the one on the boat? It was like a dirt. It was like a Sweet Valley High and they were all on a boat. Like a cruise boat. <laughs> I can't think of it. Uh, I don't Someone? know. I've watching stuff with my kids. It's all starting to blur together. Mm-hmm. But there was a I boat. I don't remember one with a boat. I'm gonna, I'm gonna remember it someday. But we didn't have cable, so if it was a, um... it was like whatever channel was on, was Sweet Valley High. You know, one of those channels. Was Sweet Valley High? Was that Saturday? I think so. I feel like it came on in the same vein as like maybe it came on after Saved by the Bell. Mm-hmm. It was all kind of in that same block. Right. I don't know, but I'll have to think about it. And again, people are screaming at us in their cars. Who know? No, I'm so sorry. Oh, it's going to be all right. So yeah, so excellent. Always, always an excellent story from Danielle. It's one of my favorite things to just get sit and listen to someone tell me a story. And if you are like me and you like the stories that we tell and you think that we do a good job with the way that we present these books that we all love so much, Um, please do us a favor and go um, give us a review. It's kind of a silly thing, but it really, a few minutes from you and it it helps us out quite a bit. It makes us feel really good. Um, We'll not hesitate to brag and be braggy McBraggersons and be like, look at this review we got. We are amazing. Um, So if you get a chance, if you would like to help us and support us, it would be fantastic if you could write us a great review. Again, five stars only. It's okay if you don't want to give five stars. That's fine. Keep walking. <laughs> Walk away from the keyboard. You do you and we'll do us and, and everything will be fine. You don't need to drop two stars to, to make that point. Yep. Uh, so until next time, we are out. Like the Halloween decorations. It is time. You're damn right.